It's been especially true this week, and I'm playing Mr. Mom this weekend. Uh, Liz is out of town, and uh, so I've been, we got the back-to-school bash this weekend. I'm baking cookies for that and making sure everything's ready to go for that, and then trying to get a sermon together, and then trying to make sure they're not killing each other. It's been an adventure, so. Um, but kids, they can make you question anything, can't they? I mean, like at the end of the day, they can make you question multiple times a day, like, am I doing anything right as a parent? I mean, kids, they can do that to you sometimes. And uh, the one thing that I guess kind of gives me comfort is as we read the story of God's people, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Word of God, but anytime you see Israelites, Jews, Hebrews, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about descendants of Abraham, um, these, these people that were the people of God. And anytime you talk about them, there's always a fair amount of dysfunction. And it gives me some, some comfort. And that might seem kind of disrespectful, but we need to understand that God chooses to use people. And how many of you, raise your hand, if you've ever been let down by somebody? Has anybody ever let you down? Put them up. How many of you have ever let somebody else down? Put your hands up. I think we all have let people down. I know we all have been let down by other people. Anytime you get people in the mix, you know that there is, uh, there's room and uh, for air. And not, not just room for air, but you know there's going to be some problems. And God chooses to use people. And so when he chooses to use people, there's only so much he has to work with because we're imperfect people. Now today we're continuing a series called The Story. And the first thing I want to ask you is, do you have a copy? And one of the things that, that I'm not, I know I sound like a salesman, but I'm not because they're not for sale, they're for free. So I'm not selling anything here. But uh, one of the things I really want to encourage you about is uh, this is kind of designed, this, this series is going through the entire Bible. It's an overview, so we don't talk about every little thing, but kind of the, the big picture things in the Bible. So one of the things I want to make sure you have is a copy of the story. Yours might look different than this because I hate dust covers, so I ripped mine off as soon as I got it. Uh, but anyways, it's about this thick, and we want to make sure that every family has one of these. And what it is is like today we're covering chapter uh, 3. This is week 3. And it's excerpts from the Bible. And so it's, it's, this isn't like a novel or something like that. It's actual parts of the Bible, but it's kind of put into chapter form. And it just kind of gives you the big picture of the Bible. So one of the things I want to make sure you guys are doing is every week as a family reading one chapter in this. So by next week, you should have through chapter 4 read if you want to be caught up with where we're at. So I want to make sure if you don't have one of these, please get one of these. Just one per family. Uh, but please grab one of these that are out at the Welcome Center. We want to make sure everybody has a copy of this, okay? So how many of you, if you don't mind, how many of you do not have a copy right now? Raise your hand. I just want to kind of see. So we've got several that don't have a copy. There's several out there. Hopefully we have enough. But make sure you grab one of these, okay, because we want you to have these. But also another thing that I love about this series is it's designed for the whole family to do it together. So what the primetime kids are talking about right now is the same story we're talking about. So not only is there like an adult version, but there's also uh, there's a teen version here. This is for, um, oh, the story for kids. And then there's the story for little ones, and then there's a story for children. So all different ages of children, and you can kind of see, I can't open it because I don't have enough hands, but this is just a really good illustrated Bible, okay? So even if you're not planning on doing the whole story thing with your family, just you have a good Bible for your kids to read with them, okay? So make sure you get one of these, again, one per family for whatever age group your kids are, okay? 
you have any questions about that, talk to Kyle. But again, those are out there at the Welcome Center as well. But we want to make sure that everybody has a copy of those and that you're reading those together. And then, you know, at lunchtime, you can uh, talk to your kids and say, hey, uh, you don't have to ask them, what did you learn in Sunday school? You can say, hey, in church, we talked about Joseph today. Did you guys talk about Joseph? Uh, I learned this about Joseph. You know, what did you learn? You know, things like that. It's good to have those kinds of conversations together uh, as family. So I want to encourage you with that. But the whole idea behind us doing this series, the story, is that sometimes we're tempted to think that the Bible is just kind of a collection of a bunch of random stories. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is really a story of God's story. It's one big story, but it's also your story and my story kind of intertwined with God's story. But the problem is, if we don't understand God's story and his plan for humanity, how in the world would you and I know how our story fits in with his? So that's the whole idea behind this is we want to know what God's story is because we understand that we're part of it. And so that's what we're doing. We're just kind of getting a, a broad view of what the Bible says about us. So up to this point, we talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about how sin has infected God's perfect creation. God made things to be perfect. Adam and Eve, they kind of messed it up, and it's, it's been trouble from then. Then we talked about Noah and how uh, God started over with the flood. He started with the best that humanity had to offer in Noah. The, the most righteous man that existed at that time. And then we talked about Abraham last week. Tim talked about the promise that God made. It was this really unlikely promise. You have two, uh, got to be careful how I say this, very experienced people. Experienced, not old, experienced people. Abraham, Sarah, they're like in their 90s. And God says, you're going to have a child. How many of you in your 90s, anybody in their 90s in here? But how many of you, some of you might be close. How many of you would want to have a child at that age? Uh-uh. Nope. And uh, God says, you're going to have a child. And uh, it's, it's a hard thing to, to believe. And it took a long time, took a couple decades, but eventually the promise came true. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. So already in this story, we haven't got very far, uh, but there's, always, there already, there's already excuse me, a lot of dysfunction in this story. Cain killed Abel. We talked about Ham's sin. Ham was the son of Noah. And I actually learned something knew that I had never learned before this past week, and I was a little bit embarrassed because I told you guys wrong a couple weeks ago. I talked about Ham's sin, and I said I really didn't know what that was about. You know, I thought maybe he had just, we talked about, I'm sorry, I know there's little ears in here, okay, but this is what the Bible says, okay, sorry. Use your earmuffs if you have to. But uh, we were talking about Ham's sin, and so what happens is there's the flood, and then they start all over again, and then we read this weird story about how Noah got drunk. Shouldn't have done that, wasn't supposed to do that. He did, didn't know what was going on, and it says that Ham uncovered his father's nakedness. And I didn't really know what that meant, and I thought it was just like he had ridiculed him because of his father was passed out drunk, you know, and I thought that's what that meant. And then this week, uh, this past week, I was reading just in my personal devotions, I was going through Deuteronomy, and I was reading about the laws, and I came to this one part where it's talking about um, incest, obviously a really sick, dark thing, and all of a sudden it was talking about you don't, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, and it was talking about incest, and then it said, don't uncover your father's nakedness. And I was like, I've heard that before. What is that talking about? And I remembered Genesis. So what happened with Ham was that Ham did something very despicable, something very dark. I'm not going to get into what that was. But Ham had done something very wrong. Um, and so that, that's, that's something that I learned. And I'm, I told you I wanted to correct that today. But anyways, that was something I learned. So already there's all this dysfunction, dysfunction in God's creation that he created to be perfect. 
Then we go on to Abraham. Abraham had children with his wife's servant. Why? Because he didn't really fully trust God's plan. God said, you're going to have a child. He waited and waited and waited, still didn't have a child. So his wife says, you know, it's been a while. Why don't you just have a child with my servant? And so he has a son with his servant named Ishmael, but God says, no, Abraham, I'm telling you, you and Sarah are going to have a child. Now, I want you to remember that name Ishmael because that is going to be very important for our story today. Now, some of you are already sleeping, so wake up because we've got to talk about some details here. And some of it you're going to be tempted to uh, maybe kind of zone out a little bit here, but I'm telling you, first of all, do you trust me? Some of you are like, I don't know you. Of course I don't trust you, or I know you, so of course I don't trust you. Um, <laughs> Uh, trust me today. We're going to talk about a lot of names, some that I can pronounce and some that I can't. And I promise you, hopefully, <laughs> by the end of it, that it's going to make sense. That, that I wouldn't mention it if it's not important. So hang with me for just a few minutes here. And I, I think we're going to make some things come together that maybe haven't before, okay, uh, for you. So Abraham, he had these uh, children with, with another woman. We left that part out of the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Like Father Abraham had many wives. We don't sing that line. But anyways, he did. He, had, he didn't really have wives, but he had children with multiple women. Some, his son is named Ishmael. And so one of the reasons I love this series is because it's going to help us kind of put some things together. So hang with me a second. Abraham had a son, Isaac. You remember, maybe you remember the story if you grew up in church about how God called Abraham to sacrifice his son that he'd waited two decades for. And then God said no, and he provided a ram. So that was Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. Okay, now, so now we're getting pretty close to the story that we're talking about today. Jacob and Esau were twins, and they were, you talk about sibling, sibling rivalry, they hated each other. Jacob was a mama's boy. Esau was a man's man. They did not see eye to eye, but Jacob was smart. Jacob ended up stealing his brother's birthright. So understand that when we talk about Jacob and Esau, we are talking about Abraham's grandchildren. Okay, that's who we're talking about. So Jacob later called Israel, stole his brother's birthright, and God's promise was passed on not to Esau, the firstborn, but to Jacob because he stole his brother's birthright. And so we pick up the story today with Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and the dysfunction in this family continues. Okay, they continue the family tradition of family dysfunction. Jacob needs a wife. So where does he go to find a wife? His uncle Laban's land. I don't know about you, but if I'm looking for a wife, I'm not going to my uncle's place, okay? But they did things a little bit different in the uh, ancient world, okay? We got to understand there's some cultural differences. This wasn't out of the norm for them. And it was funny because uh, he finds Rachel. So I was thinking about Rachel. And I thought, you know, Rachel, you wouldn't want to marry your cousin, right? And that's what we're talking about here, okay? So it seems weird to us, but this was pretty normal to them. Sorry, normal to them. So he goes to his uncle Laban's, and he sees this girl, and, and this girl, his cousin, haha, catches his eye. And he says, I want to marry that girl. And so he says that to his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban says, all right, work for me for seven years, and she's yours. Seven years. So he works his tail off for his uncle for seven years. And then you know what his uncle does on the wedding night? Gives him his other daughter, Leah. Apparently she wasn't as attractive as Rachel. And so, of course... He's, he's upset about it. He works seven years, and then he ends up marrying a woman that he really didn't love. And so he works another seven years for the same uncle to finally marry the woman that he loved all along, Rachel. Fourteen years later, he marries the woman that he saw. And so 
you're probably thinking, okay, I, I read the bulletin. I could have swore the bulletin said we were talking about Joseph today, not Jacob. But again, I promise there's a reason why we're talking about all this, okay? So this family dysfunction continues. And so Jacob begins to have children. Now, he never really loved Leah. And so, but having children was really important in the ancient world. And so God opened Leah's womb. Leah was able to have children. So Jacob and Leah, you know, even though he didn't love her, he still, you know, obviously loved the fact that she was able to have children. Rachel was not. So Leah began to produce children. She had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Now Rachel, the good-looking one apparently, got really jealous and she even, she really puts the pressure on Can you imagine, guys? She says, it says it right there in Genesis, give me children, Jacob, or I'm going to die. I mean, you talk about pressure. Like, it's not, it's not my fault. I'm not doing, like, what do you want me to do? So uh, anyways, Rachel still doesn't have any children. So she, just like Jacob's grandfather, grandmother, I guess you would say, gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob. And, they, and so she began to have children. So her servant gave birth to Dan and Naphtali. Then Leah stopped having children, so Leah gave her servant Zilpah to Jacob, and Zilpah gave birth to Gad and Asher. So I don't know if you're following with me because of all the names, but what I want you to understand is Jacob has now had children with three women, okay? Two servants, his original wife Leah, and then Rachel, there's this weird story in Genesis about how Rachel asked Leah for some mandrakes for her son, and Leah, they're sisters, but apparently they're not very fond of each other. She says, you already stole my husband from me. He loves you more than me. So uh, why would I give you some mandrakes? So they make a deal. They trade mandrakes for other things. And anyways, Leah gives birth to Zebulun and Dinah, a girl. And then finally, God opens up Rachel's womb, and she gives birth to Joseph. Now, why in the world are we talking about all this? Why does this matter? It does matter, and I promise it'll make sense. Now, how many of you, was there anybody in this room who came to VBS this year at this church? Any kids? Any of these names sound familiar to you guys that we just talked about? Yeah, it was the name of our tribes. We were talking about tribes, and they all were these names. And what these names are, are they are the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And you say, well, I thought they were the sons of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. So the 12 tribes that we read about in the Old Testament all starts here with Jacob and his sons that he had with four different women. Okay, let's actually read the text for today. You guys are thinking, we're already like 15 minutes into this, and we haven't even talked about Joseph yet. But anyways, we're going to give you the fast-forward version today. Genesis 37, 3 through 5 is what we're going to read today. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 5. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He made him a robe of many colors, and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now this, we're probably getting to some familiar territory, aren't we, for some of you. Maybe you grew up in church, you've heard the story uh, about Joseph in the multicolored robe, or maybe you saw the musical Joseph in the technicolored green coat or something like that. A lot of you know about this. Now I want to go back to why was I talking about, why did I decide that it was important to mention all these names of all these people and the servants and having kids with different people? Why is that important? It's important because of the first line we read here. Israel loved, Jacob loved, Joseph more. Why? Well, now, maybe you've always known that if you grew up in church, but maybe you didn't know why. Now you know why Jacob loved Joseph more. Because he was the firstborn son of the woman that he actually loved, Rachel. 
So now we begin to kind of understand it's not right. We don't like it, but it makes sense, doesn't it now? That, I mean, he's loved Rachel all along. She finally has a child. He's already kind of getting along in the years. He really loves Joseph. Now, do any of you have siblings that are way younger than you? Any of you have siblings that are significantly younger? You ever feel like your siblings were raised in a different way than you were? Raise your hand, Raise your hand if you feel that way. Be brave. Be brave. I've heard some of you say it before. Well, I couldn't get away with it. I see my, my parents with my grandkids, and I'm like, where was that when I was a kid? You know, <laughs> it's a little different, I understand. But uh, anyways, yeah, sometimes, you know, when, when somebody has a child, you know, uh, when they're young and versus when they're old, they change a lot. And it says right here, J- Jacob, by this time, he's old. He's wore out. Joseph, do whatever you want. I'm too tired. You know, do whatever you want. Not only that, but he just kind of lets them get away with whatever because he's old. He's like, whatever. But also he favors, he favors Joseph because it's Rachel's son. So now we're kind of understanding. So, I mean, this, this whole family tree is pretty twisted up, isn't it? I mean, it's got a lot of things that are kind of strange about it. And then, I mean, we can imagine Lee and Rachel, there's all this rivalry between them because, I mean, can you imagine being Leah? And being forced into marry somebody who really doesn't love you, I mean, and, and then to have to kind of live in the same household with your apparently much more attractive sister who you know your husband really, I mean, this is really weird stuff here. And so Lee and Rachel, they probably weren't fans of each other. And then how do you think their kids felt about each other? I mean, maybe you're in, in a blended family. You know, sometimes step-siblings or half-siblings have a really hard time getting, getting along, you know, with each other. Can you imagine what this household was like? So Joseph's half-brothers, they aren't full brothers, they're just half-brothers. Joseph's half-brothers hated him. He was the favorite, he was the baby. Not only that, but he was a guy that always had his head in the clouds. You ever meet anybody like that? And because Joseph is so spoiled, he can afford to do that. He can afford to have his head in the clouds. He doesn't have to worry about doing any actual work like his other brothers. But his other brothers, they were responsible for actually doing the work. They didn't have time to dream. They just had to take care of business. And so they had no patience for Joseph and, you know, how he was the favored one and how he got away with everything. And not only that, but he was allowed to dream. They didn't, they didn't have time for dreams. They just had to take care of work. Joseph was a dreamer. And he had a couple dreams, and, and they were similar. There's this... Um, a dream that he has about stars bowing down to him. And there's another one about uh, uh, bundles of grain bowing down to him. And he told his brothers and his father about it. He said, hey, you know what the meaning of this dream is? Is that one day you guys will bow down to me. And even his father got a little bit upset with him over that one. He said, you know, you're, you're, not, <laughs> you're not making things any easier with your brothers here. But it also says uh, that Joseph kind of kept that in mind. Or excuse me, that Jacob kind of kept that in mind when Joseph said that. He wondered what it meant. And so Genesis 37, 18 through 25, we continue the story. This is kind of what happens here. Uh, it's the turning point of the story. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit. Here in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. That, and he said this so that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to their father. So Reuben was trying to save him. He had this plan. 
Uh, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down and had lunch. They sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Joseph's brothers hated him enough that they wanted to kill him. And Reuben, he tried to save him. He said, hey, just throw him in a well. And his plan was to come back and save him. But while he was apparently gone, they sold Joseph. And what really gets me about this is they had no remorse. It's not enough that they're thinking about taking their brother's life. But not only that, but they're like, hey, what, what good is it if we take his life? Let's, let's get something out of it. I mean, this is, this is some really sick stuff that they're doing. He says, so let's sell him. You know, we're, we're not going to make a profit. We're not going to get anything out of it if we kill him. So let's sell him. They sold him into slavery. And what really gets me is that then they sit down to eat like it's nothing. They were going to kill him like it was nothing and sit down and have lunch right then. Man. So, what it, it, you know, as we're reading this story, it, it kind of gets me because it's like, is this really the promise that God made to Abraham? I mean, Tim talked about it last week. You know, uh, he said, Abraham, you're going to have descendants and everybody's going to be blessed through you and you're going to be blessed. You're going to have more sons than the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. And this is the family that God was talking about. We think, man, is this really God's plan? But there's something I want you to see. And unless you're reading your Bible, you probably wouldn't notice this. It says, at every turn, uh, there's this phrase that keeps coming up, and it's this. The Lord was with Joseph. Over and over and over again, despite what happens to Joseph, we keep reading the same phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, my question is, did Joseph know that? Was he aware of that when he was sitting at the bottom of the well? Was he aware of that when he was sold into slavery? Can you imagine that, what that must have been like? I mean, does it really get any worse than that? I wonder, did he remember that God was with him? I think he did, and I'll tell you why. But what happens is he was sold to the Ishmaelites. Now, did you catch the whole Ishmaelite thing? Who was the son of Abraham? Ishmael. That was the son of Hagar and Abraham. And uh, so it's kind of just a small world, isn't it? That here we see Joseph, a descendant of, a true descendant of Abraham, sold into the descendants of Ishmael's hands. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So he's sold into the hands of Potiphar. And have you ever met those people that they could walk through a mile of crud and still come out smelling like roses on the other end? You ever met somebody like that? I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. They always somehow manage to come on top. Joseph is that guy. Now, we understand why. Uh, chapter 39, verse 7 of Genesis tells us it's because the Lord was with Joseph. So it says that he was in charge of Potiphar's house. I mean, so this is really a horrible situation, but it's the best thing that can come from a horrible situation. He manages to kind of make his way through the ranks and finally is in charge of Potiphar's house. Now, if you don't like roller coasters, you better get off here. Because this is one of those stories that it's just up and down and up and down and up and down. Joseph ends up finding himself in prison. What happens is uh, Joseph is uh, accused. Potiphar's wife uh, has the hots for Joseph. He's a good-looking guy, apparently. And she tries to make a pass at him. And Joseph, I love what he says. If you read the story, he says, I could never do that evil against God. God is always on his mind, always at the forefront of his mind, anytime he speaks. But not only that, he says, you know, your husband has held nothing back from me. 
except for you because you're his wife. I could not do this against him or against God. So she makes another pass at him, and he runs away from her. And she grabs his robe, and he runs out the door. And so she screams, and she says, hey, this man, Joseph, tried to attack me. Look, I even have his coat. So Joseph finds himself in prison. We're not talking minimum security prison. We're talking about dark, filthy, rat-infested prison. And again, God makes the best of a horrible situation. Chapter 39, verse 23 says, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. It didn't take long before Joseph was in charge of all of the inmates. But still, I still wonder, where do you think Joseph's head was at? I mean, he says all the right things, doesn't he? He always gives credit to God. But I wonder, like, how... I just wonder how many times he went through really dark thoughts, I guess. I mean, as all this was going on. So what ends up happening is uh, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. They're both thrown into prison, and he interprets their dream. Well, the the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh. A cupbearer is a guy who would check the the drink and the food to make sure it wasn't poisoned for Pharaoh. And so the cupbearer eventually is restored to Pharaoh. He goes back to Pharaoh, and Joseph says, hey, I interpreted this dream for you. Don't. Don't forget me. Remember me. And you know what he does? (laughs) He forgets all about him. He's restored to his proper place. And it's not until two years later that Pharaoh has a dream, and he threatens his staff, and finally the cupbearer says, Oh, yeah, Joseph, he interpreted a dream. I I know a guy who might be able to help. So he sends for Joseph, and Joseph comes in, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And the dream basically meant this, that Egypt was getting ready to have seven years of of feast and seven years of famine. And uh, the whole time, Joseph gives all the credit for God. And what I love about the story is even Pharaoh himself. Oh, hello? Oh, I thought maybe I was talking too long already. Pharaoh says, um, says to Joseph, he says, I can see that God is with you. I love that part. This is a guy who doesn't believe in the same God. But even he can see that, that there's something special about Joseph. And so Pharaoh ends up putting Joseph in charge. He's second command in, in Egypt. And we might be tempted at this point to just say, well, all's well that ends well. But, I mean, you've got to understand the reality. We've been hearing this story since we were kids, a lot of us, right? And it's so easy just to think about it as a story. But this stuff happened. A man was betrayed by his brothers. His father, for decades, thought his son was dead. He was falsely accused. He sat in prison. I mean, this went on for like 13 years. So eventually what happens is the famine affects Joseph's father's father and brothers. And so they go to Egypt to buy grain from the Egyptians so that they can survive. And without even realizing it, they are standing before their brother. And his dream that he had finally comes to fruition. Did you notice that? His brothers bow down before him. And so right before him, he has his worst enemies, the, the guys that tried to, they wanted to kill him. And now their lives are in his hands. And so what does he do? He messes with them. He toys with them. He talks harshly to them. He says, hey, you guys are spies. And they say, no, we're not. We're just trying to survive. And so what does he do? He ties up their brother Simeon. He says, I'm going to keep him captive. I don't believe you. They said, hey, we've got a father and a younger brother back home. We are not spies. He says, okay, prove it. Go back, get your younger brother, and bring him back here. And then I'll release your older brother Simeon back to you. This is crazy here. So they... And what happens was that he gives them grain, and then they paid for it. He took their money and snuck it back into their bags. They realize it, and they think, oh, my goodness, we are done for. 
Uh, Pharaoh is going to think we stole from him. So he puts their money back, and they go back home. They tell their father what happens. And you know what Jacob, again, the grandson of Abraham, you know what Jacob does? He cuts his losses. He says, I will not send Benjamin. I've, always lo- I've already lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. I'm not going to risk Benjamin's life. He cuts his losses. He leaves Simeon. He says, nope, I'm not sending him. And then all of a sudden, uh, he gets hungry again. They run out of food, and he realizes they're all going to die unless he tries something. So he packs up this uh, awesome gift bag, basically. It's got dates and nuts and all kinds of fancy stuff. He says, go to Pharaoh. Here's the money that he gave back to you. Here's double it so you can pay for more grain. And then here's a gift basket. I want you to go to Pharaoh, ask him for grain. And uh, he's reminded that, hey, Benjamin has to go with us. So one of his brothers vows his own life. He says, I will trade my life for his. And they take Benjamin, with, Benjamin the youngest, with them. So they get back there. Joseph prepares a meal. They're reunited with Simeon. He gives them grain, again puts their money back, but then he does something else. He takes his own cup and puts it in Benjamin's grain sack. And so he says, okay, go away, go home. And, he, and they leave. They start heading for home. Then he sends his guards after him. And, of course, they catch up to him. They open up Benjamin's bag and what's inside? The king's, or well, Pharaoh, not Pharaoh, but Joseph's cup. And they think, oh, my goodness, we're done for. And I love, this is a really cool part in the story kind of this turning point, because here's a guy who was so willing to to kill his brother, Judah. What does he say? He says, you know what? I've made a vow to my father. This is going to kill him. Please take my life instead. I love that. Do you see the restoration in that? That here's a guy who was so quick to kill his brother a couple decades earlier, and now he's willing to lay his life down for his brother. Joseph can't take it anymore. He finally comes clean, and he brings his brothers and his father to Egypt. And he gets the chance to see his father before he passes away. It's kind of a sad story, isn't it? I mean, happy in a lot of ways, but a very bittersweet story. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21, I think is kind of the climax of this this story here. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to, to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, so do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, the decision that these brothers made, it nodded at them, didn't they? They thought it was a good thing. They even sat down to lunch after they did it. They felt pretty good about it at first until they saw the look on their father's face when they gave him the news. This decision that they made, not, you know, Joe, uh, Jacob never got over it, did he? I mean, so much that what did Judas, why was Judas so willing to lay his life down for his brother? Because he knew that if his brother, if his father lost another son, that his, it would probably kill his father. He said, I, I can't bear to see that again. I mean, this really ate away at their conscience. And when Joseph tricked him, did you notice Reuben, his first thought was, he said, oh my goodness, we're being repaid for the evil that we've done. God is, is punishing us because of what we did. 
And so even after, even after all this, they're still afraid that Joseph was going to get even with them. But Joseph, he was an amazing man. He gives credit to God. He says, am I in the place of God? He says, you meant something for evil, but God meant it for good. And it wasn't just for his family, but how many people were spared because of what Joseph did? He had the wisdom to know about the feast and the famine. How many people would have died if Joseph hadn't made preparations like he did? How many people? So Joseph said, hey, this is God's plan all along. In verse 20, we see that there's, you know, one of the things we've talked about in this series is the upper story and the lower story. The lower story is your life, what's going on in your life. And so many times our eyes are only focused on the lower story and how things are working out for us personally. And we forget that there's a whole other upper story. There's God's story. And who knows how that one little thing that has happened in your life might affect all of humanity. But sometimes we don't think like that, do we? We're only concerned about ourselves in that moment, but we're not considering how it might affect all of eternity. Joseph understood that. He said, yeah, it didn't work out very well for me for a few years. Sat in prison, sat in a well, but he said, God meant it for good. Do we understand that? Do we believe that? So I think the question is this, what causes you to question God and his will? What causes you to look and ask, you know, God, what are you doing? I mean, even now when we look at this story, I don't know about you, but I still kind of like question, why did it have to go this way? Why did it have to be done this way? But yet, what would have happened to Joseph's family if he wouldn't have been sold? They would have died in the famine. What would have happened to thousands, millions of other people if Joseph hadn't been sold? They would have died. And I know this Story brings up a lot of questions. I mean, did God cause this to happen? This brings up a lot of good questions, but I don't know the answer to that, but I do know this, that God uses, that God gives us freedom to make our choices. And even when we make the wrong choice, God can still use that. I'm not saying that as an excuse that, oh, we can just do whatever we want because God's going to make it good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying even when we make mistakes and make a mess of things, God can still use that. You know, Joseph, he endured things that you and I cannot fathom. Did he doubt? Did he question? I bet there are times that he did. But at the end of the day, at every turn, he acknowledged God, that God was with him, and other people knew that, that God was with him. In the well, in prison, even when he was sitting on a royal throne in Egypt. So I think the connection to us is actually pretty direct Maybe today you feel like you're sitting in a well. Like Joseph, you think, man, there are things that are happening to me, things that are going on in my life, and I just do not understand. I don't want you to assume it's because God has left you. I think sometimes that's the assumption, that things must not be going right because, you know, I I did something wrong. Or maybe God doesn't really exist, or maybe he doesn't care about me. Sometimes we're tempted with thoughts like that in times that are hard. We think, why is this happening? We begin to question his, his will. But don't assume that God has left you. And don't leave God. Instead, leave it to God. There's a difference there. It, don't turn your back on God. And say, instead, say, God, it's your will, not mine. And leave it to him. Maybe you're like the brother standing before Joseph. Maybe it's for you. It's you feel guilty. You have messed up, you have made mistakes, and you've done things that cannot be undone. But I want you to know that, first of all, God can forgive that. But also, God can use that. I've been there. 
I've done things that I'm not proud of, things that, that I cannot undo. I mean, things that, um, you know, things that, um, there are things that you do in life and, and, and you kind of move on, but you know that people's impression of you might not ever change because of the mistakes you've made. But also we need to understand that God forgives that. And, and, and I've seen in my life that even, even the worst mistakes I've made, that those have been very uh, powerful times in my faith. Uh, even when things are the hardest or when I've done things wrong, those have been really powerful points in my faith that I've seen that God is still faithful. And those have been defining moments for me. And, and I think the same can be true for you, that even when you acknowledge that you've done things wrong um, or you've messed up, that God can still use that. But also, you know, you might be one of these that maybe you're more like Joseph in, in Egypt and you feel like you're just sitting on a throne. Things are going great and you've got, you know, plenty of friends and plenty of whatever you need and, and things are awesome. Joseph was great, not because he was great on his own, but because he gave credit to God. He knew that God was bigger than his suffering, but he also knew that God was bigger than his success. So I don't know where you're at today if you feel like you're sitting at the bottom of a well or if you're standing before Joseph guilty because you messed up, you did something you cannot undo, or maybe you feel like you're sitting in a throne in Egypt. I don't know. But I do know this. No matter where you're at, God can use your story. But we got to understand his story. we got to always keep our minds focused on, on what he is trying to do. And that's what I love and, and admire so much about Joseph is that at every turn, his eyes are fixed on God. God is with him, and he knows it. God gives him success, and he always gives God the credit. And I'm not saying that things will work out exactly like they did for us, like they did for Joseph. Joseph had one of those those stories where he could actually see what God was doing. We don't always have that luxury, do we? But we can trust if we believe that God is good, that God is doing something, even in our darkest, most trying times, that God is accomplishing something. No, maybe not something for you personally right now, but something for the rest of humanity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day you've given to us today, we're thankful for this story, and we know that it's not a story, a fiction story, but it's real, that these things happen, God. We're thankful for people like Joseph who show us, give us an example of what faithfulness and trust and belief really looks like. And God, sometimes it, uh, it doesn't look real good. It's not something that we want. We look at Joseph's life and we think about sitting in a dark well or being imprisoned and, and sold into slavery. And that's not something we want, Lord. But we thank you for examples like Joseph, people that trust you and show that uh, even in those times, we can trust you and understand that you have a plan. God, I pray that you will give us the strength to trust in your plan and, and not our own. To give you credit in such a way that just like Joseph, people will see us and say, man, God is with you. And we can see that. I pray that we'll have the courage to live those kinds of lives. It's your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing our song of invitation today. And uh, my invitation to you, I guess, is this. Is as we're talking about the story and God's story, I guess my invitation to you is this. That you will understand that your story is part of his. Does that make sense? That you will allow your story to be part. Now, your story is part of his whether you want it to be or not. But you kind of have control over what that's going to be like. So will you allow your story to be part of God's story, I guess is the way I want to phrase it to you today. Have you just kind of been living your life for yourself, 
just kind of telling your own story, worried about just what you have going on in your personal life, or your eyes, like Joseph, focused on God and understanding, you know what? Yeah, things aren't going great for me, but God is in control. So my invitation to you is, is just that, to allow your story to be part of his story. And we do that by saying, God, I want to follow you. And if you haven't made that decision, I want you to know that you can do that today. You know, there's nothing fancy you have to do. is simply put your hope and your trust in him. Say, God, I want to try to do things your way. If that's something you need to do today, I want you to know that invitation is available to you. If you've got something going on, maybe like Joseph, you, <laughs> we talked about sitting in a well. Maybe that's how you feel right now. You've got things going on in your life that you don't like and you don't understand and you wish it were different. And maybe you just you're struggling. And if you've if you got something like that going on, you just need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody. I want you to know we've got elders in this church that care about you. They're at the back of the rooms. They'd love to talk to you, love to pray with you about some of those things. But at the end of the day, we always have to ask the question you know, or just say, God, you know, I don't understand it, but I trust your will. Let's think about that as we sing this song.